You guys should know that's a, not an easy video to walk out to. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Might have, a lot of you might have seen that um, back last year when we, when we made that as our highlight video from the river baptism last year. And Chris Easley, our creative director, and I were sitting down this week trying to figure out what, um, whether to redo it or, or to, to show this one again. And both of us were just kind of like in tears after watching it and realized that that is a incredible and perfect representation of what the river baptism is all about, but not just that, what baptism is all about. You know, it's about changed lives. And I think as I was watching it personally, God just really spoke to me and, and just said that, yes, all these things about river baptism are cool. It's cool to get baptized in the river. It's cool that we were able to baptize 150 people last year. And we're, I think we hit a thousand baptisms since Rock Harbor started um, this year now already. And someone's clapping a little bit, I think. You can, you can, it's fine. It's okay. It's all right. Just as long as all of our production team know that if you clap, it makes my message longer. It's not me, it's you. Okay. So, but, but yes, all those things are awesome, but God just really showed me that um, it's, it's about that individual story. It's the story of Christ coming in and redeeming someone. It's the story of them surrendering to Christ. And it reminded me of my own story. Um, when I was a baby, I was baptized. And uh, I think my parents made that decision for me because um, they wanted me to not be the devil anymore as a little baby, you know, as a little toddler. And so, um, but I realized at that age, at, at 19, I realized that um, it's a decision that I need to make, that it's a personal decision that once I understand um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it was a decision that I needed to make. And then understanding, understanding more about what the Bible says and, and shows is that every instance of baptism in the Bible comes after someone makes a personal decision to follow Christ. And so, um, so there I was in, uh, at 19 years old in Lampy, Missouri in Table Rock Lake. Anybody ever been there? Anybody? Nobody? We had, we've had someone in every service. Crazy. Um, it's in the middle. Oh, we have one. Cool. Um, it's crazy because it's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's Podunk, Redneckville, and it's you and like the Chiggers. And so, um, so there I was out there getting in the lake and um, this incredible man by the name of Joe White um, looked deep into my eyes and asked me the question. And he just said, Brandon, are you a surrendered follower of Jesus Christ? And I, with tears in my eyes, I remember saying, yes, I am. And he said, well, it is my honor and pleasure to be able to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he dipped me back under that water and brought me back out, you know, this symbol of being made new in Christ, the symbol of all that I was before, the brokenness, the sin, being washed away in that lake in Lampy, Missouri, and uh, being made new again. And I say all that to say that if that's you, if, if that's a step that you need to take, you know, maybe it was made for you, the decision was made for you as a baby like me, but you want to make that decision for yourself as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and, and you want to get baptized. And I encourage you to sign up on that communication card. There's two river baptisms this year. Um, you'll see there's two different dates. We're going to have food at both of them. We're doing the same thing at both of them because if you've been there before, you know that the sides of the river are, are you know, getting pretty full. The bridge is packed, um, and there's not a lot of room to stand at the river for all those that are getting baptized, so we're doing it two different ways. And I think that on your communication card, on your Next Steps card, it should say uh, Next Steps, and then it should say Commands, and it should say Get Baptized um, because Jesus actually did command that of us. And not only did he command it, he... he led the way in it. That's what's so cool about God and, and Jesus. When he came down and, and lived his life here, he modeled everything that we need to do, the way that we should live, and um, he got baptized um, to, to be an example to us. And so 
So that's river baptism, something to be excited about. We're looking forward to If you're looking at me and wondering who in the world is this stranger, I've never seen this dude before. Um, I've actually been on staff here at Rock Harbor for five years since 2014. I'm on the groups team here and help with community groups and creating kind of our gathering environments for our adults. Um, and then on Sundays, I help to oversee the hub venue over there where we get to watch all this on the big screen. So I have to say hi to the hub. I have to say to all, hi to all my hubbers over there. Hope you guys are doing awesome. I know you've got Lene and Emily leading you in some incredible worship because that's what they do. Um, so you probably had no idea that I was even gone and now here I am on your big screen. So hey, 14 foot big screen, I'm there with you. Um, and then just to all of our online audience, so we've got a, a really awesome growing online presence of people that watch our messages and just kind of follow along all over the world. And it's an honor and just a privilege for us to have you join us wherever you are and wherever that is. Um, I challenge is this, that you would walk away encouraged and I'm just praying that you would be challenged with us wherever we are here today. So if you've been with us for a while, you know, we've been working our way through second Corinthians, um, this book that, uh, this letter actually that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and uh, we're in chapter 10, we're going to be working our way through um, from 7, verse 7 through 18 in chapter 10. If you want to get your Bibles out, we'll get there in just a second. But this letter that Paul wrote, um, because he was being um, discredited by these false apostles, they were trying to come in and undermine his ministry, undermine his work, and really try to elevate themselves um, above Paul as an apostle And we're going to find out from what Paul says here that the problem was that these false apostles were measuring themselves by their own standards, by the standards um, of those around them. And we'll find out in a couple chapters. I think next chapter 11 or 12, um, Paul makes this kind of sarcastic little dig at them and calls them super apostles. He's like, you guys think you're super apostles. Um, And and this kind of a, a stab at the way that they viewed themselves. And so they were dismissing Paul's authority, and so now Paul's writing, and he's, he's answering them, and he's defending his authority as an apostle. In, in your Bibles, you might see a heading above this, this passage of Scripture that says, Paul defending his authority, um, and that's what he's doing as an apostle. And, um, and then at the end, he's going to challenge them to stop boasting in themselves, stop boasting in this like association that they've built um, with one another, but to boast only in the Lord. And that word boast, we're going to see that um, quite a bit here. We're going to see the word boast, boasting. I know naturally we think about bragging, somebody being all braggadelish. I think I, I made that word up last service because it's not in my notes. And I asked, somebody's like, no, that's not a word. But they're being braggadelish, they're bragging. And so just to give us a kind of a working definition of what the word boast means, this is what the you Googleizer said about it, since it is the foremost authority on all things definitions. Um, excessively proud and self-satisfied talk about one's achievements, about one's possessions or abilities. And so that's what it is to boast. And I think, uh, who's sitting next to someone that's a boaster? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. But naturally, I think that we can, we can think about that, right? We hear about these things, about what, you know, someone can maybe not have humility. We naturally will think, oh man, I know that annoying person, that person that talks too much about themselves, this and that. But my challenge to you today is really consider where you're at in this. How are you doing in humility? How are you doing in the things that you come across in boasting about? Really put yourself um, in the shoes of what Paul's talking about here. As we jump in, um, Paul, I would say he's writing from a place of 
kind of intensity here. I mean, I think we would all do that if we're being, um, you know, if, if someone's taking stabs at us, you know, our, our character and, and, you know, at the work that we've been doing, the mission that we've been on, I think that we would be intense here too. So we're picking up on verse seven and I would love to be able to read the whole passage all the way through, but we're going to kind of work our way through for the sake of time and just read some, some verses and then um, we'll chat through it a little bit. So verse seven says, look at what is before your eyes. Paul says, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself just that just as he is Christ, so also are we. He starts with, look at what is before your eyes. He's literally saying, look at what is right in front of your face, Corinthians. Look at what is obvious. You know me. Look at the evidence. Consider the evidence. They know Paul. They know the things he's done. And he's asking them, how in the world could you ever think that I'm a false apostle and that these other apostles are the true apostles. He wants them to see that him and the other real apostles are of Christ too. You know, these, these false apostles, when they say, hey, we're of Christ, they, they meant it in like this, I don't know, kind of clubbish, kind of elitist sort of way, like, hey, we're in this, this group and Paul's not. These other apostles are not, and we are of Christ, and so we are true apostles. And so Paul says, just as he is of Christ, so are we. Just because you claim that you're of Christ doesn't mean you can discredit our ministry and discredit where we are at as being from Christ also. The difference is, and this is really important, the difference is when Paul says it, it comes with what we call an apostolic authority. That's the authority that was given to Paul by God to speak on his behalf. It was the authority that was given to Paul when Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and met with him. You know, the Corinthians, this is the issue, is that the Corinthians and the false apostles, they were kind of not respecting or honoring Paul's authority here. And I think even though we're, you know, thousands of years removed from this, I think that we can do this too. We can undermine the authority of Paul and we look at the Bible and we say, oh, well, um, you know, we just kind of forget the fact that this is God's authority in our lives. We forget that Paul was inspired by God to write words to us, that every author in this book was inspired by God for a reason. And we have to ask ourselves, when we're reading anything in God's word, God, why did you put this here? Why did you find it important for this person to be inspired to write this message, this passage, this verse, this book? And what does that mean for me? I think what's interesting here is that Paul could have like literally unloaded his um, apostolic authority arsenal on these guys. I mean, he could have shown them his resume and it would have destroyed their resume. He could have listed out all the things he'd done. What about the fact that Paul saw Jesus? Not just the fact that he saw him, but, but Jesus, after he died, chose to appear to Paul. The resurrected Christ chose Paul. He, he, he showed himself to a select number of people and Paul was one of them on that road to Damascus. Another one would be that the fact that the false apostles hadn't planted any churches. That they had never suffered the way that Paul suffered. They had never been through the persecution for the gospel that Paul had been through. And the thing is that the Corinthians knew this. They knew it. They had eyewitnesses who were there for all this stuff. And they knew that this was true. They weren't, it wasn't just something they were taking from face value from Paul. They knew the life that he lived. They knew what he was about. I think he could have made their elite group look like a, like a, you know, a, like a middle, not a middle school, like a, what, what age is like two year, two year olds? Come on, preschool or teeny bopper, like play date group, right? He could have made them look, he could have just like, just destroyed these guys. 
But instead, he approached it a lot differently. You know, I think if you, if you read about Paul through all of his, his letters, you're going to find that Paul doesn't like to boast about himself. He's very sensitive to that. He's uneasy about it. The humility from Paul, we see it all throughout the New Testament. But I think because of what's at stake here, the undermining of God's kingdom, the undermining of his church, of what he's worked to be part of, to build, I think that he's willing to run the risk of maybe potentially sounding like he could be boasting. So verse 8, he says, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. And as I was reading that, I thought the first thing was like, first of all, who starts a sentence where they might be considered to be boasting with, for even if I boast a little too much, I would say that someone like Paul who hates the idea of, of sounding like he could be boasting, hates the idea of potentially sounding like he might not be humble. He's going to warn you first that maybe what he says might come across as boasting. And I think we all know that, that person, maybe it's you. But we all know that when someone is, it doesn't have humility, they're not humble, they boast, they do it kind of flippantly, right? They kind of do it when they have no idea how they're coming across, how you, how the, what the perception is of them. And they just, they just do it and they have no clue. But Paul is, is really kind of self-conscious about how he's coming across and boasting. You know, when I first read this passage, I would say that, first of all, I was like, oh, geez, Keith gave me the good stuff. This, I, was, I read it the first time, I was like, what is in here? And it's amazing how God's word, as you read it over and over again, his truths just come out and he just reveals to you the message of what he's trying to say. But I think if we read it that first time, that first glance over it, it could be like, wow, Paul's coming from a, a place of pride. He's coming from a, a place of, of you know, not having humility and just not being humble and boasting and kind of attacking these guys the same way that they're attacking him. But we have to remember that Paul's the same guy that wrote the book of Romans. He wrote all these other letters. The book of Romans, if you look at chapter 12, verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given or assigned. He also wrote the book of Philippians. And if we look at chapter 2, verse 3, I love this. He says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourself. And I love that because I think if we need a, a biblical definition of humility, we just put it right next to that verse. Counting others as more significant than ourselves. What does Paul mean when he says that? Count others more significant than yourself. What does that practically look like? I'd say it looks like this. Don't go into conversations thinking that you need to talk all about yourself. Don't be someone that goes into a conversation and, and you're that person that somehow, some way, you're just awesome at it, at turning the conversation around to you. That someone's sharing something with you and rather than asking them more questions and really caring more and counting them more significant than you, that you try to find some way to talk, some way to, to interject, some way for, to get them to pause so that you can talk. And meanwhile, that other person can see that. I don't know if you've done that. You can see when that person's kind of processing in their mind, right? They're thinking through, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say? Okay, wait, pause so I can talk. Don't be the person that has to talk all about yourself. Someone with, without humility is a one-upper. We all know the one-upper, right? It's like you share this really awesome thing that happened in your life. You share this cool thing, maybe this PR that you had and running or, or whatever it is that you're into, you share this cool thing, but theirs is cooler. You share this new thing you got. You spend all this time researching why you needed to get this one thing and you share it, but then they spend the time to tell you why they went with theirs. And then by the time you leave that conversation, you're like, great, I bought the wrong thing. I should have got the one they have. Or you just feel like garbage. 
When someone compliments you on something, how do you respond? When someone pays you a compliment, what's your response? It's so important how you respond to that. You know that cliche statement, don't let it all go to your head. Don't let your head get all puffed up. It's a big deal. You know, an opportunity for someone to, to, to speak um, affirmation into you and to say you did a good job is an opportunity for us to make less of ourselves and point more to Christ. Less of me, more of God. How do I point people towards God? And they don't have to be someone that is a, a fellow Christian or a believer or, they, you know, whether you're talking to someone who's not wherever you're at in the workplace, you can somehow turn it around to where it's not about you. Just say, thank you, man, I've been blessed. It's not about us, and it wasn't about Paul either. Paul wasn't boasting in himself or anything he had done. He, was, he wasn't making more of himself and less of God. It was completely the opposite. He was boasting in what God was doing. He was boasting in the fact that God was working through him, and he won't be ashamed for boasting in God. That's what he says, I will not be ashamed. We continue in verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, and he's talking with they, he's talking about these false apostles. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. It's an interesting spot in the, in the Bible where we get a little bit of a description of, of how people viewed Paul, of what he looked like on the outside or any of that. And then there's a, there's a, there was a first century writing called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. It's an old first century writing that actually the early church considered it to be part of the Bible, but they rejected it because there was a couple things that were off. There were some things that weren't accurate. And so they didn't allow it to be part of the canon of scripture. That's the whole of the Bible that we have today. But interestingly enough, there was a description of Paul in there that kind of went along and it, and it made sense of the descriptions that we have in the Bible. And here's what it says. It says, Paul was a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. Who has scanty hair? It means bald. Who has bald hair? Okay. Nobody wants to raise their hands. They're like, nope. Um, but his hair was scanty. His legs were, were little and crooked and he had large hollow eyes. He had a crooked and long nose, and this is the best part. His eyebrows met. We call that a unibrow now, right? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Paul knew what everyone was saying about him, though. He knew all these things. He knew these descriptions, his speech, his looks, the way that, the way that he wrote his letters. And these false apostles, they were really playing on his weaknesses to try and elevate themselves and to, to deflate his ministry, to deflate who he was, his authority to undermine him. And they decided that, these guys decided that leadership should be bold, attractive, impressive. That public speaking should be like top notch. And as I was reading through that, I couldn't help but think about our staff, the Rock Harbor staff. You know, we have this incredible staff that, that we serve on and that I get to serve with. And um, the thing about us is that we're not all that smart. And I say all that smart because... Scott Harris pretty smart, and John Link's pretty smart. Well, there's a lot. Laura came up to me after the last service. She said, I'm offended. You put me in the not smart category. So I, I think I'm speaking for myself when I say that. But what I mean by that is we, we don't have all the ministry accolades that maybe the world's, by maybe the world's standards. You know, we don't have all of these diplomas and all the things that, uh, that, that you know, these ministry diplomas that one might think you would need in order to be in vocational ministry. I'd say a lot of us, including myself, we haven't even, we didn't have vocational ministry experience before we came on staff 
at Rock Harbor, but the thing that we all have in common, every one of us, and there's like 30 of us on staff now, is that we've all put our hands out and we've said, God, just use whatever gifts I have. I surrender to you to do whatever you want with to help build your church. And I don't say any of that to boast because this is what we're talking about here. I'm not boasting. I say all that to say that we're just ordinary people like Paul. And I can see the stories of people that are on staff here in Paul that many of us often feel inadequate to answer the call. We see our weaknesses. That's what I love about how God works. God doesn't care about all those things. If we look back into the, the Old Testament, you know, when Israel wanted a king, when they shifted from this period of judges, you know, hey, they had judges and then they, they said they wanted a king. So God provided a king for them, this tall, handsome, incredible specimen of a man named Saul. But the problem was, is that Saul, he didn't have a heart for God, so God rejected him. And so after that, God sends Samuel. You can read about this in, in the book of First Samuel. God sends Samuel to go and find another king. And he ends up knocking on the door of a guy named Jesse. Jesse answers the door and he presents his firstborn son, Eliab. And Eliab, like Saul, he's, he's tall and, he, and he's handsome. That's what the word says. And then Saul said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this is our next king. But before Samuel designated him as king, the Lord spoke to Samuel. And this is what he said. And you can see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And I think there's someone here or at the hub that needs to hear that. You need to hear that the Lord doesn't see you the way you see yourself. You feel forgotten. Maybe you feel marginalized or you feel inadequate or you feel inferior to those around you. You feel less than. And I think that you know, if we're all honest and we're all just being real here, that there's more of us in this room and at the hub and online who have this insecurity about us, this deep down in our heart, we have this thing that we're self-conscious about, these things that we might appear to have it all together, but we're really a mess. But God chose a dude who couldn't talk good. See, you guys got it. Last service, I was like, guys, it's supposed to be funny. But he chose a guy who had a weird unibrow, who had crooked legs and a big nose. You guys catching this? God doesn't care what you look like. If you think you're better looking or you work out more than other people, you've got a nicer body. Maybe you appear outwardly to have it more together. But my question for you is that if God didn't care about this in a king in a king of a nation that he loved, this nation that he saved out of slavery, if God didn't care about that in a king, do you think he cares about that in you? Do you think he cares about that in you? He doesn't care about how well you talk. He doesn't care if your eyebrows are on fleek. (laughs) If you have a 13-year-old daughter, you get to learn the lingo, and that's what it is. When your eyebrows are on fleek, they're just perfectly plucked, I guess. He doesn't care about your tan lines or your crooked legs. All the things that we're self-conscious about, all the things that set us back, that hold us down, that trip us up, you got to hear it loud and clear that God does not see you the way you do. He doesn't see you 
the way that you do. No matter how elevated your opinion of yourself is or how deflated your opinion of yourself is, he doesn't see you the way you do. And he said it himself, man looks at an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think that like Paul, we can be aware of these things. We can be aware of our strengths. We can be aware of our weaknesses, but we see that Paul, he didn't let those things stop him from standing firm in Christ. He didn't let them stop him from pursuing all that God had planned for him, the mission that God had him on. If we continue in verse 11, we got to remember that he knows what they're saying about them. Like I said, he knows what they're saying. And so he's kind of putting them on notice a little bit here in verse 11. He says, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. He's saying, my character is the same in my letters as it is when I'm in person. My character, who I am, is the same when I'm texting you as it is when I'm standing right in front of you. When I'm writing a letter or sending an email, I'm going to be the same person as when I'm standing right in front of you having a conversation. And he goes on in verse 12, and you can see his sarcasm here. I love it. He says, not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. Paul's telling us that when we get caught in this comparison and measuring ourselves by one another, we are without understanding. We've missed the mark somewhere. Our thought, our thought process has gotten off. And that's when we get caught up in what I call the comparison trap. You can write that on your program. I know there's no fill in the blanks. That'd be a good one to write down. Our creative team needed to print those way before my message was done on this short week. So that's my excuse. But you can write your own notes. Comparison trap. So why is it a comparison trap? Because once you're caught in comparison, once you're, we measure our life and our job, our income, our house, our car, our stuff, once we measure all of that against the standards of those around you, it never ends. It never stops. There's never a point where we're going to feel good enough. There's never a point when we're going to feel like, okay, we made it. Because there's always somebody next. There's always somebody that, that, that is better There's always someone who's, and I'm going to read these because I wrote a lot of them. There's always someone better, stronger, who runs faster, who's richer, who's better looking, with more stylish clothes, with more friends, better makeup, who cooks better, who has dinner ready more often. There's always somebody who is a better spiritual leader of their family, who writes better posts, who takes better pictures, who goes to cooler places. It will never stop. If you feel like you're caught in that trap and you feel like you aren't, enough. I hate to rub salt on the wound, but I'm going to tell you that you're not. And you will never be enough apart from Christ. Make sure you add that part if you're quoting that. You will never be enough apart from Christ. You know, all this self-help stuff that's out there, all these incredible podcasts, you know, one after the other that tells you how to be a better version of yourself. You'll never get there. There's never a point of arrival. There's never, okay, I ended the podcast, I made it. We're never going to be enough apart from Christ. It's this trap of comparison. I think what's next in comparison is, is we move from comparing ourselves outwardly, the things that we see, the things that we see others do, to comparing the things that we believe, to comparing the things that, the, the truths that we hold to. And I think that that's where we're at as a culture right now, and it's a really tough place to be. We compare our truths. We begin to measure what we believe against all these opinions that are flying around us. By the standards of this culture, we might say things like, hmm, their truth about marriage sounds reasonable. 
Their truth about abortion just seems to step on way less toes. Their truth about, about whatever the subject might be just seems to be a little bit easier to swallow than mine. And I think what we do is we begin to do what the Corinthians were doing. We trust way less in the authority of Scripture, the authority of these apostles, of the, the ones that God inspired to write the truth down. And we forget the fact that this Bible, this Word of God, contains every truth that we need to live our lives. Every opinion that we should have is all right here for us. And Paul is saying, man, we got to come back to the authority of Scripture. I want to ask you a question. What good is it that we use each other as a standard of measurement? What good is it that we use the person we're sitting next to, the people that we see on social media, all of our friends, what good is it that we use each other as our standard of measurement? If I were to have you raise your hands and if I were to say, hey, who here, don't do it, it would be awkward, but who who here considers themselves a self-conscious, someone who deals with anxiety at their core, someone who needs Jesus, who's a sinner, who needs his grace more than ever? I, I would think that the majority of the hands in this room would go up. I think you're probably thinking in your mind right now, yep, I'd be putting my hand up. And we would look around and we'd see all these hands and we'd be asking ourselves a question, why would I compare myself to that sinner? Why would I compare myself to that mess? Why would somebody compare themselves to this mess? Man, I'd say if you've compared yourself to me or a, a post that I've made on Facebook or, or any of those things, if you're, whether you're my friend or you've seen me around, if you've compared yourself to me, the joke's on you. I mean, I know I'm like Saul, tall and handsome, and you know I've got the dad bod for days here. See that? That's a spiritual gift. I can push my belly out. It was fun when my wife was pregnant. I'm like, babe. It looks like we're about the same here. But I'm a, I'm a jacked up sinner, and I need way, way, way more of Jesus and way less of myself. We have to quit measuring ourselves by the standards of each other. If we go back to verse 13 here now and continue, Paul says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. Paul's saying, hey, there's a limitation to what we'll boast in. There's a a line that we will draw in the sand that we will not cross, and that line is that we will only boast in God. We will only boast in his work. And he goes on and says, For we are not overextending ourselves as though... We did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may also be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. And I I, I could not get past verses 15 and 16 without thinking about where we are as a church right now. We've been challenged this theme of 2019 that we will be deeply rooted, that we will grow more deeper in our faith, that we will grow in our relationships with Christ like we never have before. Meanwhile, over here a few miles away, we've got a foundation that's almost laid for a new building, this incredible building that is going to bring us some like security and help us to be established in this community that what we've needed to be able to continue to reach people in this valley as it's grown. But I believe just like what Paul is saying here, Our faith needs to increase first so that our area of influence can be enlarged. So that we can preach the gospel in areas and lands beyond this. The beautiful thing about Paul was that he's always thinking about furthering the gospel. He was always thinking about multiplication. We're not just going to get in this building and sit down and sit and soak and be like, man, look at what we built. This thing's cool. 
We can hang pictures on the wall. Finally, we're not going to do that. We need a building, yes, but way more than that, God, he needs our hearts. He needs our faith, and he needs it to grow, to increase, so that we can create this place, not this hashtag forever home, but this place that we can sit in and grow in, come into like a harbor, a safe place to come in and be sent out of. Paul goes on, verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is huge because Paul's referencing back to the Old Testament here, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. It says, thus says the Lord, this is the Lord speaking, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So true boasting in the Lord is really, it's boasting of the Lord. It's boasting about the Lord, about what he's done in your life, his accomplishments that have happened through you. That's true boasting. And we can't elevate the Lord while trying to elevate ourselves. It just can't work. You cannot do both. Paul continues in verse 18, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. See, these guys were commending themselves. They had this association, this elite group was commending each other, but that's not how it works. The Lord commends. We don't get to the end of our life and say, hey, hey God, what's up? Uh, well done and good and faithful servant. I'm good. I'll see you. Can I go? We don't, we don't get to do that. I think we often look at what we've done, the things that we possess, our accomplishments, and we give ourselves a false commendation. Just like these false teachers, these super apostles. And I think when we do that, we become false Christians. We can't follow ourselves and be followers of Jesus at the same time. What we do is we make a bigger deal out of creation than we do the creator. We worship the things he created for us to enjoy instead of worship the one who actually created them, the one that provided them. And Paul is saying here that you don't get to do that. You don't get to look around and compare yourself and measure yourself by our own, your own standards or the standards of those around you in order to receive your commendation. You don't get to think more or less highly of yourself based on comparison. We have to realize that everything that we have is from the Lord. Everything good in and about us, even if you think, I did this, it's from the Lord. You have to think that you're here to glorify the King. Our approval comes from him. And a thought that always humbles me is um, something that one of our elders, Matt O'Brien, he often prays. When he prays, he'll start a prayer out and say, Lord, you are the creator. We are the created. Lord, you are my creator, and I am your created. Say that to yourself in a prayer sometime to help humble yourself. We're just a small part of this master plan to bring glory to the creator. And I'd say if you're sitting here today and you're feeling uneasy about any of this, you're feeling like, hey, maybe I've been boasting in in some of the wrong things. You're realizing that you've made more of yourself rather than a whole lot more of God. If that's you, I'd encourage you just to, as we go into this next song here, just to take some time to ask for forgiveness, to repent and just say, Lord, I submit to your authority and to the authority of your word. And if you've been crippled by this comparison trap, if you've been stuck in this trap of comparison, you've allowed your value and your worth, your identity to be determined by all of those around us, how they're living, what they have, how they're doing life. I think we can be encouraged to know that our approval is in Jesus. That's where we have to go. And I'd say men, 
We have to realize that we are sons of God. Let that sink in. You're a son of God. Ladies, you are a daughter of the king. Your approval does not come from what other women or do women do or what wives do or how they do it. It doesn't come from what other people look like or how you compare men. It doesn't come with how you lead your families in comparison to how another man's leading his family or how you provide for your family. That is not where your approval comes from. Trying to find our worth and our value in other people is just a, a dead-end road. It's this black hole. And it leaves us completely empty. It's Ephesians 2.10. God looks at us and he calls us his masterpiece, his workmanship. And I want to close by just reading a couple verses here from a hymn that was written way back in 1707. A couple of you might recognize it from a song that Chris Tomlin and Matt Redman uh, redid. It's called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I just want to read the first two verses, but I want you to, they're going to put them on the screen, and I want you to really let them sink in, because it's kind of that old English hymn style, but their words, the words in here are so powerful for what we're talking about today. The first verse says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And I want this second verse to be our prayer as we go out of here today. Let it sink in. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Let's let that be our prayer today. God, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the authority of scripture, the people that you ordained to write the words to us, your words for us on how to live and how to be. Forgive us, God, for wavering and allowing ourselves to be measured by all that's around us, for boasting in ourselves, our accomplishments, our purchases, our accolades. And we leave here today, God, with a renewed mind and a heart, knowing that all that is from you is good. All that we have that is good is from you, Lord. We want to be measured by you. Let the one who boasts, God, boast in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.